Well, what a week it has been in this place. We have gathered for prayer in expected and unexpected ways. And we have worshipped God in new ways and in old ways. We have gathered in fellowship with people that we have, we've known and we see every week and people we haven't seen in a long time. This week has been a time for us as a church to reconnect with one another and for God. And I've got to say, as a clergy person, this week is always, you might call it the show for pastors. It is a busy week, but it is a, a great week in which there is so much going on that is so great and takes a lot of time and attention. And so this week, as I was preparing for this marathon of worship services and celebrations and gatherings, um, I got a very pleasant surprise that helped me through uh, the week. Now, if you think I'm going to say I got a visit from an old friend or a gift, you'd be mistaken. No, I was greeted with a new trailer for Star Wars, <laughs> Episode Nine. I'm not supposed to do this, but this is like the coolest scene. <laughs> and so I heard about this trailer and I watched it. And I think I made Amanda watch it three or four times. And then I went on YouTube and I looked up all the videos about what's really going on and what can you gather from it. And look at this is going to be so cool. Watch. Oh. <laughs> So I watched this trailer and it got me thinking as I was preparing for this sermon about another scene from the Star Wars franchise from episode 7, but before I can talk about that one, I have to go to another scene from episode 4, A New Hope, to set some context, which came out before I was born, by the way. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster if you're sorry, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful Force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. Ah, Han Solo, the renegade, the individual, the skeptic, perhaps even the cynic. He looks out for himself and he doesn't believe in anything that he himself has not seen. He doesn't care about any testimony. But we know how the story goes, or I hope you do, we've seen the movies, right? We know how the story goes, that every time Han tries to get away, he gets sucked back in and comes and saves the day in one way or another. And through that, he comes to see for himself that some of the things that he doubted were actually true. And so that's the scene that I remembered this week from episode 7, from The Force Awakens. It's true. The Force, the Jedi. All of it. It's all true. Do you see how his outlook has been transformed? It's true. All of it, he says. 
And so as we listen to our scripture today for Easter, I wonder how it is that we hear it. Do we hear it as skeptics who aren't quite sure that we believe the good news? Or can we hear it as a hopeful people who know and believe the message that the resurrection has indeed come to be? Listen now to our scripture from the Gospel of Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. And the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to all the disciples. But the words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloth by himself, and he went home amazed at what had happened. Well, may God bless this reading. Well, do you, do you notice what's happening in this passage? I'm, I think you probably do, but I'm just going to take a moment. So this is the most important sermon preached in the history of Christianity. Christ is risen. And it is being preached by women. The women who are really the only people who stand in faith when Christ dies. They're the only people who return, who don't flee somewhere. But more than that, I, I think a lot of people would appreciate this. The men aren't listening to the women. <laughs> you know, I've never heard that one before. And in fact, there is a need for another man, Peter, to run to the tomb to reassure them that this is all actually happening. It turns out 2,000 years ago, people still needed a man to repeat the same message that a woman had in order for anyone to believe them. And so maybe that's part of the message. Women will figure things out first. But then men will be too arrogant to believe them. But there is something else going on here in this story. Because I wonder when I read this, if it's not so much that the men don't believe the women, as that they don't believe the resurrection. They, they doubt it. And you've got to think where they're at. We celebrate Holy Week knowing what comes at the end of it. We know that Jesus dies on Friday, but on Sunday he comes back. But for these people, for, for all the followers of Jesus, the person they had been following, following has been killed by the Romans, and there have been these public scenes of humiliation. I'm going to guess that on Holy Saturday, they're hiding, wondering what's going to happen to them. And I think in that place, the good news is just hard to believe. It had to be hard to wake up that weekend, just days after this awful scene in which your hope has been dashed. It has to be hard to believe that good can come of that. 
that the situation of desperation and despair that they found themselves in would ever work itself out. And so it is easy for us to believe the good news that new life is possible because we already know the story. Don't we? You know, if I'm honest with myself, and maybe you feel the same way, I know the story is in the gospel story, but in my own life, I, sometimes it's hard to believe that whatever mess I find myself in today will ever work itself out. Whatever despair or darkness we find ourselves in, will it ever pass? And so we profess that in Christ something has happened, that new life is possible, but of course, we make it about another life, some life to come, some next life, not always this life. But the resurrection is about this life. It is about a life that is available now. It is about a hope that the death and despair that we face might not be the final word, and that whatever good Fridays we face whatever pain we've experienced, that in the midst of even that, resurrection is still possible. And so I think we as a people sometimes have trouble believing the good news. We've turned the gospel into a story about not what happens in this world, but in some different world. Maybe it has to do with fake news. You've all seen this, right? People publish new stories that aren't real and tell us about how awful the world is. And we can go, oh, that's fake. But it gets to us, right? Can anything good that's being reported be trusted? Is the bad stuff I read about true? This dampens our ability to feel hope, to believe that resurrection is possible. And frankly, the real news doesn't really help. Global warming, racism, violence, war. We had the bombings in Sri Lanka this morning, the Notre Dame this last week, the black churches in Louisiana that have been burned in the last month. Do we believe that good can come out of this world? Or do we struggle to believe? Honestly, we might be the skeptics that we're looking for. And so it begs the question, in what do we place our hope? Do we believe what we have heard about the resurrection? That despite what has been, despite what we have known or experienced or seen, that new life is not only possible, but it's here. It is easy to say that if we were there that back then, that when the women showed up and proclaimed the resurrection, that we would believe. We wouldn't doubt them. But we have the benefit of hindsight. We have to ask, what do we profess when the cards are down? When we have no place to turn, and what do we place our hope? The poet Christian Wyman writes a little bit about his own search for hope. In his book called My Bright Abyss, he writes about a time in his life when he had been diagnosed with cancer and really wasn't sure he was going to make it. And so in the midst of this bleak diagnosis, he reflects on his own life and what has made it meaningful. And if it's possible to continue living even as he's dying with hope, 
And so he reflects on the words of another poet named Gerard Manley Hopkins, who, while dying of typhoid at the age of 45, wrote, I am so happy. I am so happy. I loved my life. And Wyman reflects about this writing, how desperately we, the living, want to believe in this possibility, that death could be filled with promise, that the pain of leaving and separation could be, if not a foretaste of joy, then at least not meaningless. In the end, Wyman recovered from cancer, and he's continued to write about spirituality and about this search for God and for meaning and purpose. But he concludes this section of his book with, his, this, with a desperate observation that we'd be wise to follow. He writes, What does faith mean, finally, at this last date? I often feel that it means no more and no less than faith in life and the ongoingness of it, the indestructibility, some atom-by-atom intelligence that is and isn't us, some day-by-day and death-by-death persistence insisting on a more-than-human hope, some tender and terrible energy that is, for those with eyes to see it, love. And that's what we look for, isn't it? I think in our lives, we often don't need the giant breakthrough or the mountaintop experience. We just want to be able to live, to embrace life. So what is the source of our hope? What does it look like to live a hopeful life? To believe that the good news has come? I asked my wife Amanda this once after someone I knew lost a loved one. And I ask, how do you get over a trauma? How do you move past losing a loved one? And her response, and this has resonated with me since, was that you do it one day at a time. That you wake up the next day and you live. And you wake up the next day and you live. And the pain never goes away but you develop new patterns, new beauty in life. And so this is the good news of the resurrection. Whatever place you find yourself in, whatever life is at that moment, however lost you feel, that is not the final word. This wisdom can can extend to everything for we do, feel in a wor- we do feel like we live in a world sometimes that feels like it's getting worse, don't we? That it, the world is more hateful, it's more hopeless. And yet, the story of the resurrection is that it doesn't have to end that way, that the cross is not the end. Whatever rut you find yourself in, whatever despair you face, whatever hopelessness or loneliness or unworthiness has crept into your mind, it is not the final word. Just as the cross was not the final word. That is the promise of resurrection, that whatever happened today does not define tomorrow. New life is possible. And so do not shrug off the good news as wishful thinking believe everything you've heard. Last 
September, we went on a, Amanda and I went on a vacation to Colorado. And we'd never been there before. We were there for a wedding, but we decided to make a cross-state trip out of it and road tripped in a Jeep Wrangler, real Coloradoans. But we made a stop in Colorado Springs and stopped and walked through the Garden of the Gods. If you've never seen it before, it has these protruding rock formations and this beautiful open space. It is really stunning. It is the kind of place that pictures don't really do it justice. And we had this conversation while we were there, and we talked about the sort of environmental catastrophe that scientists say is coming for us. This global warming thing where, where they're not sure that the Earth will be able to support human life forever, which, oh man, just don't Google it. <laughs> it's bad news. We're, our Earth is, is hurting. And as we're talking and we're looking at these rocks that protrude out of the Earth and these beautiful landscapes, we both sort of had this realization that this earth, this thing that we call home, it's bigger than we are. That it didn't need us to create these rock formations or these beautiful vistas. That, you know, in the end, we might fail, but the earth will be all right. It'll go on producing beauty. And I, I will say that I, I will continue to live my life in such a way that I am helping and not, and not harming the ecosystem as much as I can. But I'm also just aware that, in some cosmic sense, it'll be okay. That time will march on. And that's, that's the good news. This isn't the final word. Whatever catastrophe you've experienced, it's not the end. There is an ongoingness to everything that life will continue. New life will be possible. And so go on living. Believe everything you've heard. It's true. All of it. Amen.